broadcast today. I'm Pastor Jeff Shreve, pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries, heard every weeknight at 6 p.m. Central Time on American Family Radio. Well, today we want to talk about fighting for the truth. In the little book of Jude, just one chapter, the last book before Revelation, Jude says this, Jude, an apostle of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved, who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly, that you struggle for and fight for the faith, which was once for all handed down and delivered to the saints. Today on the broadcast, we have uh, a dear friend and a wonderful warrior for the truth, Dr. Lee Brand. Uh, Lee Brand is the first vice president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He has a passion for the Lord and a passion to preach the word of God. And he recently served as Dean and Vice President of Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. He is a husband. He's a father of five. And uh, I am blessed to call him my friend. Dr. Brand, welcome to the broadcast today. Hey, my brother, man. Glad to be on with you. Well, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. And uh, Lee came to First Baptist Texarkana the first Sunday in 2022 and preached a powerful sermon on being courageous and standing for the truth. And so, uh, Lee, I want our listeners to get to know you. So uh, tell a little bit about your background. I know you came to Christ when you were just a teenager, and how did that come about? Uh, well, man, kind of interesting. I didn't necessarily grow up in church when I was a little bitty kid. We went to church and then kind of uh, scattered, if you will. And when I was about 12, the man who passed the church we wound up joining, he worked in the same factory with my parents. And he just basically walked up to the front of the factory to my mom and just encouraged me. He said, I think it's time for you guys to come back to church. And um, we started back attending, and I was 13. And he was preaching one Sunday. I don't remember what he was preaching, but I remember the question that he asked at the end of the sermon. He asked, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? And man, in that moment, I was just arrested. I knew uh, beyond any shadow of a doubt, if I died, I was going to hell. And uh, he, I, I walked up front, walked the aisle, talked with him. He, he shared Christ with me, how to be saved, what it meant to give my life to Jesus. And that day I did. And uh, man, my life has never been the same. It was I had a rocky road from probably 13 to about 16 years old. I tell people, if you looked at my life back then, I looked a lot like a lost person, um, kind of living beneath uh, what the Lord had called me to do. But at 16, he started working in my life in some unique ways that I really was able to see. And he just graciously led me along, called me to preach at 17. And it's been, uh, Jeff has been pedal to the metal, man, ever since then. <laughs> How did how did the call to preach work in your life? Um, again, kind of a strange set of events, man. I was uh, actually dating a girl in high school, and her cousin was preaching his what we call his trial sermon. And she wanted me to go, and I did. I grew up with him, and there was a cluster of guys in a neighborhood uh, where I spent a lot of time. And the Lord just kind of started picking guys off, if you will, man. This guy was the first one I went to hear him preach, and 
uh, in a really strange set of events. I was sitting in the church listening to him preach, and I could actually see myself standing where he was standing. And, uh, dude, I got up and I walked out. I mean, I left, uh, walked out crying. I was like, Lord, am I hallucinating? What are you doing to me? And uh, came back in, sat down. And, again, from that time, man, went, sat down. I counseled with my pastor. And uh, he gave me what I think is the best advice that, that anybody could give. Uh, he said to me, he said, son, I want you to go in the church and I want you to find everything else you can do. And if you're not satisfied after you tried everything else in the church, come back and we'll talk about you preaching. And so uh, about six months in, man, it, I was still in the same place. And, and the Lord made it clear to me that's what he wanted me to do. Amen. Well, you're very, very good at it. God has really gifted you. So, Lee, your journey then was uh, college. You went to – you played football in college, right? I did. I played for a year at Stanford University um, Baptist School in Birmingham, Alabama. And I tell people, man, you can be running like Jonah and be at a Baptist school because that's what I was doing. I didn't pray about going and uh, playing ball. They offered a scholarship, and I just knew that it had to be the Lord, so I went and uh, – Nobody else's fault but my own. But man, it was a, that was a tough year. Probably one of the worst years of my life because I think I was really living uh, outside of God's will for me. Transferred back home to Mississippi State and uh, wound up going there and finishing out. Didn't play ball anymore. Uh, I tell folks I had to sacrifice that idol. But uh, but that's kind of my my college journey. And so in college, what did you get a degree in? kind of a psychology slash sociology degree. My bachelor's is a bachelor's of science in human development, family studies. All right. And then from college, did you go straight to seminary or, or did you start preaching in churches? Well, uh, kind of started preaching in churches early on. When I was called to preach at 17, man, my calendar just started kind of filling up. Uh, I had the misfortune, I guess, of being a relatively popular guy in my little town and my little area where I was from. And so people knew the Lord was doing something in my life, and the Lord just started giving me a bunch of chances to preach. And uh, so I started preaching a lot from 17 to about uh, 21 while I was in college. And then right before I graduated from Mississippi State, which is in Starkville, Mississippi, a church in the county uh, had heard about me, and they asked me to come and preach for them. And I wound up becoming their pastor um, in January of 2002, right after graduating in 2001. And Jeff, almost in tandem, when I went to the church, I told them that I had every intention of going to seminary, and I wanted them to know so if that would be a problem, they could tell me and we could do whatever we needed to do. But they supported me in that journey, and so I started seminary basically at the same time I started pastoring the church. Oh, wow. And then you got married right around that same time, too, didn't you? Yeah, about a year later, uh, I got married, which I knew Tiffany at the time. I, uh, I I was pretty solid on the fact we were going to get married. She wasn't so much so. The Lord had to convince her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, 2002, I became a pastor. 2003 was when I got married. Wow. Okay, and then you went to seminary at what school? I went to Mid-America uh, in, in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, I did my master's and my doctoral work there. Uh, I was a long haul student from about 2002, and I finished everything up in 2013. Oh wow! And PhD in in what uh, specificity? Okay, I was a, a practical theology major. Uh, I always knew that I had a heart for a local church. In fact, when I finished my master's, they had to convince me to go back and do doctoral work. One, because I was just tired of school, 
But then, two, I just always saw myself being in a local church context, and I wanted to be able to bring, a what I say, a level of scholarship back to the pulpit. Because in my opinion, brother, uh, a lot of the struggles that we see in our churches, we have weak churches because we have weak pulpits. And the only way to strengthen the pulpit is get these men strengthened up and skilled up in the Word of God. And so that's why I went back to do doctoral work and practical theology was my emphasis. Yes. Well, you're very skilled in the Word of God. And let, let's talk about that, Lee, because uh, at, today the Word of God is under attack, just like it seems to be under attack in every generation. Uh, the devil never ceases to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. So uh, tell our listeners your views concerning the Bible. Is it inerrant? Is it sufficient? How do you view that? Oh, uh, your two words are spot on for me, and I like to unpack what I mean in that. I believe the Bible is absolutely sufficient and absolutely inerrant. You can't find any errors in Scripture, uh, even in my teaching. What I tell students is this. If you're reading and you come across something you think is wrong in Scripture or a contradiction in Scripture, there's no problem with the book. There's a problem with the interpreter. Uh, and so that's kind of my core conviction about the quality of what we have in front of us when we pick our Bible up. And I believe the Bible addresses every issue of life. Now, that doesn't mean that it speaks expressly about everything, but by way of application, you can't find a life situation to which the Bible does not apply. Um, I tell people, you won't find a chapter in the Bible with the thou shalt and thou shalt not of how to raise a, raise a teenager, but you can find principles all over Scripture that apply and therein find the best biblical formula for that issue and every issue in life. And so that's my core conviction about Scripture. I heard Adrian Rogers say years ago, any preacher who doesn't believe the Bible ought to go out and get an honest job. And that's how I feel about the Bible. <laughs> Amen. That's a good quote. Okay, so you've been Baptist your whole uh, saved life, correct? I have. Yes. Okay. Uh, what do you, and now you are the first vice president voted in in June in Nashville, first vice president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Lee, what do you see taking place right now if you're, you're doing an assessment of the Southern Baptist Convention? What do you see? Well, um, the way I assess things, I think is fair to give before I talk about what I see. Uh, I tend to think a lot like a coach, like an old football player. If I'm watching film, I don't always go first to what's good. The first thing I go to is where we've made mistakes, where we can get better. And so I want to couch everything I say by saying this. Yes, there are some positives within the Southern Baptist Convention. There are things that we can celebrate. Every time a person comes to faith in Christ, there's something that we celebrate. Every time we have uh, someone called on the mission field that we're able to support with our cooperative program, giving that something to celebrate, but I don't ever want us to think that because there are things to celebrate that there aren't also things that should concern us. And one of the things I think that primarily concerns me is what we're talking about right now. The fact that we're saying the Bible is inerrant and the Bible is sufficient, that's what we're proclaiming. But quite honestly, brother, I don't really believe that we're always practicing that. Um, when we start talking about the way we relate to one another, I think a big issue that has right now be hamstringing the Southern Baptist Convention is how we approach the conversation of diversity. Um, I don't think diversity should ever be the goal of a church or a convention. I think being biblical ought to be yes. our goal. And from being biblical, I think that's the ground where diversity can organically grow out of that ground. So that it does concern me. 
that that would be my chief concern for where we are as a Southern Baptist Convention. Well, that concerns me too. And, um, you know, for, for so many years, people have looked to Dr. Martin Luther King and his dream speech. And the key phrase in that speech, uh, you know, I, I'm seeing a day where my four little children will be judged not on the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. And to me, it's like, amen, that's spot on. That's how we need to judge people. Um, but it doesn't seem like we're doing that anymore. I mean, it seems like we were moving toward that at one time, but we've gotten so far away from that today. Uh, we can't see it with a telescope. What's your opinion on that? Well, I think there's a reason I agree with you. And I think the reasoning there, uh, when I first came to Mid-America, man, there's a gentleman I worked with and we're just having a conversation in his office one day. And I brought up this point because it's something I pondered for a long time. Uh, I'll tell anybody, man, I don't think you can live a life uh, in a context that's any more diverse than my own life. And that's not me tooting my own horn, but I grew up born and raised in small town, Mississippi. My mother is a white lady. My father's a black man. My mom is born and raised in Miami, Florida. My dad is from sharecropping country in Mississippi. Uh, I've got French in my blood, Indian in my blood. So uh, if, if, if I could stick a picture in the dictionary beside diversity, I could just stick my own head up there. (laughs) But, (laughs) but as I look at all that, I think when we see where we are today within SBC life within evangelicalism, one of the problems is this. We're trying to talk about issues that are real, that are present, but we're adopting the world's terms and the world's tone and the world's tactics. We're taking the world's stuff and we're trying to bring it over into the church, asking a lost world to help us correct what we perceive as problems. And again, I think the Bible is sufficient for that. Are there issues within our churches? Absolutely. But where are we going to go to get those solutions? Amen. You go back to the Word of God. Well, we're talking to Dr. Lee Brand, and we're talking for contending earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. And that is a command from the Lord that we are to do that and especially do that as pastors. And so Dr. Lee Brand is a pastor. He's a preacher. He's a man that has a heart for the word of God. And so we're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Here's some great news. If you miss the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or if like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. 
So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Friendships is looking for full-time volunteer men and women who are serious about serving God, investing time in rewarding work, and helping people in need around the world. There is no charge to serve. Room and board are provided. A willing heart and a desire to work as part of a team are the primary skills required. Check out the opportunities at friendships.org or email portmercy at friendships.org. That's portmercy at friendships.org. This is Frank Gaffney, host of Secure Freedom Radio. It's your personal daily intelligence briefing about the challenges we face, how they're likely to affect you, and what we can do about them. You can find Secure Freedom Radio here every weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Tune in to learn from our extraordinary experts what you need to know and will want to share. Join us for Secure Freedom Radio tonight at 11 Eastern, right here on AFR. Paul writes, when one part of the body suffers, we suffer together. This is Bible League International, and here's a very startling statistic. Every five minutes outside of America, a Christian is killed simply because they believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let me give you some perspective. By the end of the average hour-long worship service in America on a Sunday, 12 Christians will die, again, simply because of their faith. Now listen, persecution is arguably the top issue facing the global church today. I'm not saying that death is affiliated with every every case of persecution, but at Bible League, we know Christians who are singled out, targeted, monitored, threatened with death, even killed simply because of their faith. Listen, we can do something about it by sending exactly what they're praying for to persevere and endure, and that's God's Word at $5 a Bible, $100 since 20. Would you pray about it and then make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or give at sendbiblesnow.org, sendbiblesnow.org, and God bless you for caring. Welcome back to the broadcast. Pastor Jeff Shreve here, pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. We're talking to Dr. Lee Brand. Lee is the first vice president of the Southern Baptist Convention, a man who loves the Word of God, who loves the truth, and who fights for the truth, who does what the Scripture tells us to do, contends earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, Lee, when we read in Scripture, we read, I was doing a little research this morning, nine times in the New American Standard Bible in the New Testament do we read these words, be on the alert, be watchful, uh, be vigilant. Peter says it, Jesus says it, Paul says it, and Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So from your perspective as a pastor and as a seminary professor and a a dean and a vice president, um, how do you see the devil working today in the Southern Baptist Convention? Well, I think if you go back to uh, the initial encounter with him in Genesis 3, the word used there in the old King James is the word subtle. And I think that that's always been his modus operandi. And I think it's the same today. Uh, he's never going to show up, you know, in the red suit, you know, with the pitchfork with the horns in his head, but it's 
just these very subtle, very cunning. Uh, to I, I'm, I'm going to quote that old pastor again who uh, led me uh, to faith in Christ and who discipled me uh, when I became a preacher. He said that word means he's slick. <laughs> it means mm-hmm. he, he, he's good at what he does. And so when I look at where we are as a convention, it's never the, the temptation is never to do an about face and just turn completely away all at one time. It's just been this temptation to slowly, slowly deviate from what we see in the pages of Scripture and just, hey, a, a little compromise here, a little bit of give here is not a bad thing. But over time, that's terrible. I don't play golf, but I do uh, I do shoot guns. And, and there's a principle that's the same in both. If you hit a golf ball and you're off by a few centimeters on your swing, a few a few inches at tee off is several feet or yards down the course. Right. You're shooting a gun. What is off by half an inch at a hundred yards starts being off by several inches to the point you miss an entire target at two hundred yards. And I think when I look at where we are as a convention, it's little bitty moves like that. If you look at some of our conversations now around issues like complementarianism versus egalitarianism, nobody's saying throw the Bible out. We're just pivoting softly on, well, we don't don't necessarily mean that or we don't draw that hard of a line on that issue. And that's how I see him working today. Well, you know, it says in Proverbs, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And then your poverty comes in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. And uh, I totally agree with you, Lee. The devil gets you to move just by slight little increments. And uh, and pretty soon we look from, from one year to five years and you've moved a lot uh, over that time period. Now, one of the things we talked about when you, when you came and preached uh, at First Baptist Texarkana, I asked you the question, how come you see the deviations and the the movements more in the seminaries than you do in the churches initially? Eventually, it gets its way to the churches. But how come seminaries are so susceptible to the the lies from the devil? Well, honestly, I think in that, in that culture, in the world of seminary life, there's always this pressure to know, to have an answer, to have things figured out. And I honestly think, Jeff, that it's some of it is the the pride of man. We want so much to have an answer. We want so much to be able to merge these thoughts, these concepts, these philosophies together to say, hey, we come up with some new thing that I think that that mindset, that ambition is somewhat rampant in the seminary world. Because time and time again, if the only answer you've got to come back with is, well, the Bible says, well, the Bible says, well, the Bible says, there is a certain segment, I think, of the thought process in some people. Well, is there not something else? And the, of course, we know the answer that's absolutely not. No, it is the Bible. But I think that that pride, that, that bit of arrogance, that we need to have something new to say, almost like the guys who sat around at Mars Hill, they sat around looking for something new to debate and to discuss. And you don't see that so much in the local church context because the people on the ground at the church level, the average member, those man, we don't have time to get off into the philosophical <laughs> what ifs. We're trying to live. I mean, we're trying to right. make you know, we're trying to figure out how to bend our life in the shape of the Bible, not how to bend the Bible in the shape of our life. Hmm. 
That's a great way of saying that. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, I remember when I went to seminary, I went to Southeastern Seminary when uh, Dr. Paige Patterson was the president, and uh, the Lord was doing great things on that campus. This is in the late 90s. Uh, I was there in 96. And, uh, you know, it was just exciting to to be a part of that. But I thought, this is a this is kind of a weird world um, as opposed to being in the church world because you got all these guys that are learning and they, they do like, uh, you know, a lot of them like to pontificate and sit in the, 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 you know, the cafeteria area and just kind of talk about Luther and Calvin and all this stuff. Regular church people, they're not thinking like that. No. I mean, again, we don't have time, man. You know, when you're trying to figure out how to handle a sick child or how to handle this, this news from the doctor and the fact that your job may be playing out and the fact that gas is, you know, $10,000 a gallon. You know, when you're trying to live life to the glory of God, you don't have time for that. And I think in some of our seminaries, you get into this intellectual academic world where you do have in some of these cases uh, men leading and teaching who've never had any practical experience. They've not been on a ministry staff. They haven't had to hold the hand of someone who's dying. They haven't done any of that stuff. And so they don't have the practical application of these great theories that they've come up with. And they don't see where their own breakdowns are because some of the things that work, and again, I go back to a football analogy. Every play that you draw on the chalkboard scores a touchdown. It does not work out that way when you're on the field. And some of this stuff these guys are concocting in the in their labs, if you will, of thought, it just doesn't play out because it's antithetical to what the Bible teaches. It, for sure. And and so, Lee, in your uh, in your time at Mid America, when you were teaching pastors, because um, I know you're going to be a practical guy, uh, d- did they gravitate toward that, or did they want to debate you, or or how how did that go? Well, you know, in my time, man, it was very much welcomed. And and the thing I love about Mid America. Uh, even to this day, because this has never changed, is that practical emphasis. Our goal uh, and the goal of the institution before me and even today and even while I was there, the goal never was to be the Harvard on the Mississippi. That's not the goal. The goal is to give church leaders, pastors and missionaries, to give the people of God the tools to go out and do the stuff. And so that practical emphasis, I think, was always welcome because it's part of the DNA. And uh, you're right. I mean, for me, even in, when I teach preaching, the sentence I use a thousand times over when you're constructing a sermon, when you're building a lesson, everything in your sermon is a servant to the truth of that passage. Until you come to what the truth of that passage is, you don't have anything to preach. And once you have something to preach, every element of the message, whether that's your exposition, your application, illustration, your corroboration, introduction, conclusion, it doesn't matter. All that is to serve the truth of that passage. For sure. And, and being faithful to that truth. Um, yes. Yeah, you, you had mentioned something, and it, and it reminded me of a phrase I heard Adrian Rogers say, if it's new, it's not true. Uh, we're, not, we're not trying to invent new things. We're trying to remind people of things that they, uh, 
for me as a pastor, I'm not necessarily telling you something you haven't heard before. I'm trying to reinforce something that you may have forgotten or you may have lost sight of. Uh, it doesn't have to be uh, some, wow, I've never seen that before. I've never, uh, that has never entered my mind. It's reminding people of basics of who Jesus is and how he loves you and how he wants to use your life and how he wants you to walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, I love that about your preaching, Lee, is that it, it's, it's academic, it's scholar, it's got good scholarship, but it, it hits where people live. Well, you know, I again, a caution I give to any preacher, even the guys that I teach, is this. The worst compliment you can ever be given at the back door on Sunday morning when they shake your hand is they say, man, you sure were deep today. Because that means I didn't get anything you said. It sounded great. It was. It, it, it came across wonderfully. It just didn't land anywhere because I didn't get it. I mean, again, look at Christ. I mean, when we think about the, the, the master teacher, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and his preaching, his teaching, was on such a low level for the people. I mean, behold, a sower went to sow. Jeff, that's not deep. That's direct. Right. It's very clear. And I think we ought to be trying more to model what he did. Again, we're not trying to find new. Like you said, we're trying to help people take what's always been in Scripture, see it, and faithfully apply it to life. Amen. All right, Lee, let's talk about this. So you've been first vice president of the Southern Baptist Convention for the better part of a year. Mm-hmm. What has been your experience in that role? Um, yeah, overall, uh, to me, Jeff, it's really kind of been uh, on the, I guess, the negative side. It's been somewhat anticlimactic, and I can unpack that in a moment. On the positive side, I've had the opportunity, man, to meet some of the greatest people of God across this country um, and spend time with local pastors and local people and just get to see what I think is the heartbeat of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is life and ministry at the level of the local church, which is the headquarters of the Southern Baptist Convention. So that's been the most positive thing. The most concerning thing to me is the lack of what I think is real communication, lack of real engagement um, within the leadership of the convention. And I want to be fair. Some of that is, I think, the byproduct of the way we're structured constitutionally. Uh, There doesn't have to be necessarily any real dialogue between the elected officers. Um, And so we've kind of set up a culture where since that has been the case, it continues to be the case. I would love to see the convention actually take a step toward, um, and, and I mean constitutionally take a step toward mandating at least a set number of meetings between your elected uh, representation, your president, first vice, and second vice. And it doesn't mean that you hamstring the president. The president should be allowed to do his job as the Lord gives him vision and direction. But I think the Bible is clear in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom and there's safety. And so at least make us get into a room together so that we can talk, because that to me has been one of the more troubling things that we talk only when absolutely necessary. And since it's not been very necessary, there hasn't been much talking. Well, and that is disappointing. I, I Lee, I read an article that was uh, November of last year capstone report, and it quoted you in that article, and it said, the SBC uh, treats you like you're the wrong kind of black guy. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that mean? Well, I mean, you know, and I was asked a very direct question about that sometime later, and I'll just kind of answer that the way I answered it again then. Um, it seems like among the leadership of various entities across the SBC that we welcome these conversations uh, about diversity and on the topic of diversity, but really it's a diversity of skin tone and not a diversity of serious thought. If you really have strong positions that would challenge the status quo where we're trying to go uh, in these diversity conversations, it seems like that conversation is not welcome. That conversation is not one that's wanted, and you kind of get set to the side. Uh, I have a friend who I didn't ask uh, if I could use the quote, so I won't use the person's name, but a friend of mine who's an African-American brother said someone came to him and told him that as a conservative black guy, you're a double minority. You're already a minority because you're black, but then you're also a greater minority because you're a black person who espouses conservative convictions. And in quite, in just my own opinion, the way things operate in some ways and at some turns in the SBC, you get that same reality thrust upon you that you're a double minority. <laughs> you know, we want to have the conversations, but not with a guy who's going to talk about that kind of stuff. That, that's a interesting way to put it, a double minority. So let me ask you this, Lee, how did, uh, because in the, in the African-American culture, you are a minority in terms of how you believe your, your conservative views of scripture. Would you agree with that are in the minority in, in, in that context? Um, I do, but I I hesitated that a little bit. And and let me tell you why. I think so much of our perceptions of various communities is what we see projected through media. I think there are many people in the African-American culture who think like I do, who would process things the way I do. They may not articulate them the way I do, but, um, but it's convenient to posture and, and tout that, Hey, you know, this group is liberal, that group's conservative. Uh, and I'll be quite frank, in my early life in ministry, I kind of had the idea that the Southern Baptist Church, which uh, tends to be more uh, white, I had the idea they were more conservative. Well, i tell you what, you take the last 10 years that I've really been partnered with SBC churches and uh, and really been working in tandem with many in across the SBC and I can tell you, brother, in my experience, that's not so, you know. So going back to your question, I think there is a respectable uh, collective of African-Americans who are very conservative, but they're never going to get the traction. They're never going to get the attention. Um, even when I was in Starkville, we had a very large church. We had a lot of influence in the area, and people knew where I stood on those things. It wasn't always uh, welcome, but it was always the reality. Amen. We're talking to Dr. Lee Brand. We're talking about fighting for the truth, contending earnestly for the faith. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. American Family Studios was started back in 2011 as a way to advance the Christian worldview into an increasingly media-rich culture. Media is like such a 
powerful tool to communicate the gospel. I love writing stories, getting in my office, and just thinking, how can we portray this concept of who God's character is? And to get to use the gifts that God has given me is really a joy. AmericanFamilyStudios.net in his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away, or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. I'm Peter Rosenberger, and this is your Caregiver Minute. While flying Delta Airlines to Atlanta one day, I discovered that flight attendants state the best advice for caregivers all day long. Listen to this. Securely place your mask on first before helping anyone next to you who may need assistance. Well, that small directive, what I call the Delta Doctrine, contains applicable wisdom for so many life circumstances, but probably none as poignant as for those of us serving as caregivers. Compassion and love often mistakenly lead us to hold our own breath while trying to help someone else breathe, but once we make that decision, it's only a matter of time before we find ourselves gasping for air. If we're unable to breathe, how can we help anyone else? Put your mask on first. See to your own safety first. It's not selfish. It's wisdom. This has been your Caregiver Minute with Peter Rosenberger, brought to you by Standing with Hope, a ministry for the wounded and those who care for them. There's more information at standingwithhope.com. Back in 07, my father passed away. My mother had passed away seven years earlier, and they left me a small inheritance, and I wanted to give back to AFA for all they have done for me. Carol talks about her experience with the AFA Foundation. I am an avid listener to AFR, 12 hours a day. And I hear Dan Celia talking about the charitable gift annuity. I liked what the uh, gift annuity offered, donated a certain amount, and from that I get a check every month, which is retirement income for me. If you'd like to support the work of the AFA and receive a fixed income for life, a charitable gift annuity from the AFA Foundation may just be what you're looking for. Learn more by contacting the Foundation at 800-326-4543, extension 345. Welcome back to the broadcast. Pastor Jeff Shreve here filling in for the last several weeks for Dan Celia as he recovers from COVID pneumonia. I'm joined on the broadcast today by my friend, Dr. Lee Brand, the first vice president of the Southern Baptist Convention and uh, recently uh, just uh, transitioned as dean and vice president of Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. Well, Lee, one of the passages in scripture that is very gripping is in Acts chapter 20, where the Apostle Paul is giving his farewell to the Ephesian elders. And he says this, For I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose, the whole counsel of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things 
to draw away the disciples after them. That had to be shocking to the hearers that day when Paul told them those words. But we're seeing that unfold right before our eyes, aren't we? Oh, absolutely, man. That's actually, it's funny you brought that up. That's the last passage when I pastored in Starkville. That's the last passage that I preached on uh, my last Sunday as the pastor of the church. I mean, it's, you would, you would think that, I mean, if you come after Paul, that it's going to be solid and, uh, you know, not, not going to deviate at all as you were given that illustration about just being a, a one degree off on the, the flight of the bullet or the flight of the arrow. But Paul knew that was coming because the devil never ceases to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. So Lee, as we, as we think about how the devil is working today in seminaries and in churches, uh, we hear a lot about critical race theory. We hear a lot about the woke gospel. Uh, can you unpack that for our listeners and tell them exactly w- what is that and, and what uh, ramifications does that have in the churches and in the seminaries? Well, I mean, at its core, it's a very worldly and I think a very ungodly uh, concept when we talk about critical race theory. Um, again, born out of you know legal scholarship uh, and Basically, looking at everything through the lens of color and power dynamics, how does power flow toward a certain color or their word, a certain race, which I don't use that word because there are no races of people. There's the human race. Um, But that whole concept, that idea being brought over into the mix of churches, I think is, is very detrimental because they're completely antithetical. If you take what is critical race theory and lay it down beside scripture and truth, they do not mesh. They do not, they're not congruent because critical race theory parses people along these lines of various identities. And the Bible doesn't do that. For me, I try to take things again. I'm a practical guy and uh, I've got a one liner for why critical race theory just doesn't work. There are two things that have to exist for critical race theory to work, and they don't exist. Um, One of those is an impotent God, and the other is an omnipotent white man. Those two things don't exist. (laughs) And and so critical race theory doesn't exist. But again, I, I mentioned this earlier. The church, we're in trouble because we're adopting the world's terms and tones and tactics. The Bible gives us a way to handle any disparity, whether it's a, if it's a real disparity, you know, um, my fear with what I see with critical race theory is we're taking some, some things and we're saying that, yes, there's a, there may be a correlation, but we're jumping all the way to that. Then that must mean it's absolutely causation. Are there differences in cultures and are there differences economically within culture? Sure. But is that the, is the cause the racial difference, or is that just a correlation? And so I, I, I think the church has to push back hard against this stuff and stop allowing herself to be parsed along lines where God has said, I have broken down those walls of petition. Amen. Yeah, I was just looking at that verse in Ephesians. Uh, he himself is our peace who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the hatred, which is the law of commandments contained into ordinances, that in 
himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Now, Lee, I've heard Vody Bauckham talk about that, and he's talking about racial reconciliation. He said, well, the Lord did that when he died on the cross. He, he himself is our peace. Um, how do you see that, and, and would you agree with that statement? Well, I, I agree with the sentiment. I I express it a little differently. I have great respect for Dr. Bauckham. I love Vody. Um, but I but I try to never go into the conversation about race because, again, I think to do that is to pivot into a worldly concept. I don't think when Christ died there was a reconciliation of races because races do not exist. I think that there are ethnic differences addressed even in the Ephesians passage between Jew and Gentile. Anything that could divide us, Christ has solved once and for all. And I think you see that worked out in mature faith. You see it worked out, I think, uh, in a great way as far back as Acts 13 in the church at Antioch. Um, What Christ has done must be held out in front and viewed deeply for us to understand our unity is in him. But again, all this division that we're seeing sold by the incorporation of critical race theory is because of a very simple truth. We're not putting Christ at the center, and we're not running toward him. We're running toward some worldly idea of what does reconciliation look like. See, that looks different to the world than it looks to the believing community. That looks very different because the end goals are different. Critical race theory tells you it's about the redistribution of power. Well, Scripture tells me there is no power to redistribute that's not in the hands of Jesus Christ, and he gives it out as he desires. Very, very good. That's a great way to look at it. Well, uh, Lee, I was I got the the privilege of meeting Daryl Harrison uh, last week at the National Religious Broadcast Broadcasters Convention. He works for Grace to You, John MacArthur's uh, ministry arm, and uh, he was in a panel discussion with Eric Metaxas and some others, and uh, he said that he has gotten um, just terrible things said about him by people in the African-American community that call him an Uncle Tom, call him all these terrible names uh, because of his stand for conservative uh, biblical values and the way he views scripture. And and I would dare say that you and he are much alike in, in terms of how you view the scripture. Has that been your experience also with other brothers and sisters in the African-American community? Well, I, I, would, I think so, but here's the difference for me, Jeff. Up to this point, it may change after this show. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you've met me. Uh, I'm a I'm a big dude, and I think sometimes the things that are said about me get said behind my back and not necessarily to my face. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's that sentiment out there. Um, but the reality of all that is, brother, I mean, no matter what side of the fence you come from, what your cultural background is, there's light and there's dark. Darkness has always hated light, and it doesn't matter what cultural context that's expressed in. Man, in our country and in our culture as Americans, there is great wealth to be attained, and there's great uh, access if we will play along with what have been built as the racial dynamics of America. But I think we've come to a day where so much has changed. It does not mean there don't need to be more changes, but here's the reality. 
are there examples of horrendous victimization of some black people in American history? Absolutely. But here's why I, why I hit this completely different. Though you may have been victimized, and every human being has been in some way, shape, or form, you have to make a choice to be a victim. And I do not believe the scripture gives any Christian, no matter their, their skin tone, no matter their experiences, I don't think scripture gives you the option of living your life as a victim when Paul would tell the Romans that we are conquerors. That's exactly right. Yeah, we're overwhelming, overwhelmingly conquerors in uh, in Jesus Christ, and uh, that has been a, a concern of mine too. It's any teaching that tries to put you in a in a victim class and and you celebrate your victimhood. It's like that is not Christianity, because no. Christianity says, "Hey, the Lord has delivered you, and yeah, bad things have happened to you, and you can't get bitter about the bad things that happened to you, or happened to your parents, or happened to your ancestors." Uh, it seems like CRT really pushes that. Well, yeah, because the proponents of CRT, I mean, think about it. As we talk about parsing people out, even within the black culture, if we take the CRT road, it, it's very beneficial to some black folk who are elite to keep the CRT narrative going. Because if I can continue to make you think you're a victim and you continue to stay in that realm, guess what? I still get paid thousands and tens of thousands of dollars to write my books, go on my speaking tours, and I am benefiting royally off of your victimhood that I am continuing to pump out and make you believe in. Mm. That's just horrible. Uh, do you, okay, let me ask you this, Lee. Do you think those people really understand that are doing just what you're saying? Do you think they really understand uh, their ulterior motives, or are they just blinded by this ideology? I think it may be some of both. I, I definitely think there are some people doing this who are too smart not to know what they're doing. And there are some, like in every other movement, that kind of go along with the crowd, and it does seem like it's right. Dude, there's almost, a, I think, a, a default within people. Uh, we want to believe something, and if you can be convincing, then I'll believe you. And so you've got people who are really, really well-versed, and they're really smart. They're, I mean, they're devilishly smart in how they can articulate this stuff. But again, it's like, it's like when you evaluate two pieces of wood. If you want to see if something is fake, veneer, there's a, there's a real simple test for veneer. Put water on it. Just let it sit there, and eventually it's going to buckle. And if you start watching this stuff, uh, I was just looking at Proverbs 23, 23 a little while ago, where it says, buy the truth and sell it not. Truth is going to stand. It's going to last. And so the writer of Proverbs says, get that, get with it, keep it, and don't ever get rid of it. This is another trend. It's another thing that's come along in the way of CRT. It's the big wave now. People are going to ride it. But I'm telling you, you're going to see from an eternal perspective, as we already know, there's nothing to it. And I think we have to continue to champion what's true, which is God and his word. And we have to continue giving people what is the living hope of Christ. And he works out in the heart of his people as they seek him and they're conformed to his image, what they need to be doing and what they need to be championing. Lee, as you, uh, as you look down the road for seminaries, for churches, for pastors, what would be your word of encouragement? Because the Bible makes it clear in the last days, difficult times will come. Uh, I know for me, I don't see things getting 
easier. I think see things for the faithful Christian getting harder and harder. So what's your word of encouragement to those of us who want to stay faithful to the Lord and faithful to his word? Well, a couple of things. One, I go back to the verse I just quoted, by the truth and tell it not. Man, stay with the truth above everything else. If it costs you every position and every friend, you stay with what's true. But I'll give you another one, brother. I think let's let me be practical. I think it would do every Christian in America good for to pray for God to raise up a a fellow believer to connect with them from a context like China, like Afghanistan, um, like Iran. These places where Christians are already facing real persecution. Um, what I see happening here, I parse a little differently. In America right now, we're watching the hostility toward Christianity ramp up, but I don't think we've hit real persecution yet. And I think if we're going to be faithful, we've got to be in the Word to know what is true, but then in a practical sense, pray for God to walk some people beside us like an Onesephorus did to Paul, who can encourage us, because some of these brothers in other countries are already facing this stuff at levels that we have no concept of. Yes. Now, let me ask you this, Lee. Uh, we have one last question. So for somebody that wants to make a difference in the Southern Baptist Convention, what would you say they need to do? Um, a few steps. One, pray fervently. Uh, skill up on what the convention is and how it works, and then show up. Uh, I think there are many people in the Southern Baptist Convention who are just of the mindset that the people we elect are going to do right. And that's our hope. But here's the reality. We are accountable to the messengers, and messengers must show up, and they must be equipped when they come, and they have to vote. And so I would say pray up, skill up, and show up. I think that's how we are at our best to make sure the Southern Baptist Convention goes in a God-honored way. Southern Baptist Convention is coming up in Anaheim, California in June. And... um... It's, uh, it's important for us to, to be there, and I know it's, it's difficult for many of us to maybe fly across country, but it's important because we are called by God to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Dr. Lee Brand has been our guest. Lee, thanks so much for being with us today. You're a blessing, my brother, and I'm praying for you. And so uh, may God guide you as you uh, venture out into this this next chapter for your life. Hey, remember, we always end the broadcast with two words, shine and share. Shine for Christ and share what great things the Lord has done for you. I'll see you again next time. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.